from the Mirrority. I am Jitesh Surjiani, and you're tuned into this week in India, a show where we bring you up to speed on all the major events that had an impact on a society, actions that shaped a political discourse, things that moved our economy, and stories that influenced our collective opinions, all during the course of this week in India. Today is Sunday, the 19th of September 2021, and you're listening to the maiden episode of the show. I'm quite excited and look forward to building a connect with all you wonderful people. Let's start the show by looking at some of the general headlines that grabbed our attention. Pegasus, the by now infamous phone hacking software allegedly used by the government for spying on politicians, activists, and businessmen, was again in the news. On Monday, the government told the Supreme Court that it would not file a detailed affidavit in response to the multiple petitions seeking a formal inquiry into the supposed scandal. It claimed that filing an affidavit would make the details publicly available and compromise national security. Instead, it would form a committee of its own to investigate the charges on itself. Expectedly, the court seemed unimpressed and pushed the government to file an affidavit, as this was an issue of breach of an individual's right to privacy, a right guaranteed under the Constitution of India. We are tracking the story closely and will bring you all the latest updates as they happen. As it stands today, India remains in the grip of COVID and the government has set an ambitious target of vaccinating 60% of the population with both doses by December 21. However, at the current vaccination rate, it is estimated that only 42% of the population will be vaccinated by then. In parallel, the New York Times released a controversial report quoting former scientists of the Indian Council of Medical Research. Therein, the scientists have claimed political interference in giving out real data on COVID-19 and the related deaths. Not surprisingly, the opposition demanded that these claims be proved by a sitting judge of the Supreme Court or a High Court. For a concerned citizen, such claims, if proven true, are downright shocking and unfortunate. However, the bright spot on the vaccinations came in the form of a world record feat of vaccinating 2.5 crore people on a single day. This feat was achieved on Friday the 17th of September, the birthday of Honorable Prime Minister Narendra Modi. Yes, Prime Minister Narendra Modi celebrated his 71st birthday this week and he was wishing him a very happy birthday and a great year ahead. People around the world and in India sent in their best wishes. Political leaders across party lines wished him good health and a long life. BJP allies like Pashupati Kumar Paras from the LJP, however, got a little emotionally charged and even called him Bhagwan Ke Dusre Roop, saying he's present amongst us as another form of God. The BJP, on his part, is organizing a massive Thank You Modi campaign, under which five crore thank you postcards will be sent to Prime Minister Modi for all that he has done for the poor. Environmental impact excuse for now. Ration bags will be distributed PM Modi's photograph printed on them, besides many more such appreciative measures. The opposition parties and various liberals feel that besides the psychophantic traits of such an exercise, it is just another endeavour to building the cult of Modi, after having his image on the COVID vaccination certificates. There is also of course the element of political propriety, wherein a scheme mandated by law to distribute food grains to the poor is now being appropriated by a political party. They argued against making the PM's birthday a political spectacle, especially in an election build-up season, and divert the energy into increasing the pace of vaccination instead. The NSO released its latest report based on the survey of agricultural households conducted during 2018-19. 
The last such survey was carried out six years back in 2012-13. The survey found that 50% of rural India's farmer households, that includes every member in the house engaged in all economic activities, were in debt. 2% lesser than in six years ago. In terms of quantum of debt, however, our farmers are now in greater debt than in 2013, as the average outstanding loan per farmer household rose from 47,000 rupees to 74,000 rupees. In the times that we live in, it is quite shocking to note that the total income of all people in the farmer's house is only 10,000 rupees in comparison to 6,400 rupees during 12-13. But if we were to assess their income from their core activity of crop production only, it is even more shocking to find that his income has declined by 5% between 2013 and 19. It kind of explains the exodus of farmers to the cities looking for alternative work. Now, these are just some of the highlights as not all of the extensive report can be covered here in this episode. You can, however, access the entire graphically represented insights along with expert comments on the mirrority.com slash data. The link is also available in the episode notes. Time Magazine's list of 100 most influential people of 2021 was released this week. And guess who made it to the list? Prime Minister Narendra Modi and Mamta Banerjee. They had company in US President Joe Biden, Chinese President Xi Jinping, Apple CEO Tim Cook, in addition to some unexpected names like Mullah Abdul Ghani Baradar, the co-founder of the Taliban who also made it to the list. Time's profile of PM Modi alleges that he has pushed the country away from secularism and towards Hindu nationalism. It also makes some damning accusations of him of eroding the rights of India's Muslim minority and imprisoning and intimidating journalists. On Mamta Banerjee, her profile says that the 66-year-old leader has become the face of fierceness in Indian politics and that she doesn't just lead her party, the Trinamool Congress. She instead is the party. This week also saw the release of the Crime in India 2020 report by the National Crime Records Bureau. As per the report, the number of crime incidences in 2020 were 28% higher than in 2019. Over half of all cognizable crime incidences were reported in the states of Tamil Nadu, Gujarat, Uttar Pradesh, Kerala and Maharashtra. The overall crime rate, that's the crimes per lakh population, is now at the highest level since 2014. In particular though, the rate of crimes against people of scheduled castes. A bright spot in the report was a reduction of crimes against women in 2020. The joy short-lived though as the conviction rate for cases related to cruelty against women remains abysmally low. And you'll be surprised that 60-80% to 80 of accused in any form of spousal or domestic abuse cases against women are never sentenced in India. Probably one of the causes for the increase in crimes against women. The caseload for the police to touch an all-time high last year with a record backlog of now 2.8 million cases. Now, these are just some of the highlights of the report. The entire graphically represented insights along with expert comments can be accessed on the mirrority.com slash data. The link is also available in the episode notes. This week, the government and the Supreme Court again went up in arms against each other. The issue this time was the rising vacancies in 12 statutory tribunals, such as the National Company Law Tribunal, Armed Forces Tribunal, and the Income Tax Appellate Tribunal. The court claimed that the vacancies has left these quasi-judicial bodies almost defunct. A special bench led by the Chief Justice of India, N.V. Ramana, called the emerging situation pitiful. 
even for the appointments actually made by the government. The court took objection to the cherry-picking of the appointees from the list recommended by the Supreme Court judges. Thus, they questioned the sanctity of the purpose and the selection process, yet the government has to have the last word anyways, calling the entire selection procedure a waste of time. Things reach quite ahead with the court warning the government that it is testing its patience and it has no respect for the court given the building pattern where the court strikes down one act and a new one comes up. These tribunal hearings are on the basis of a petition filed by Rajya Sabha MP Jairam Ramesh asking that the provisions of the Tribunal Reforms Act, which abolishes nine key tribunals, be declared unconstitutional as it raises a serious threat to judicial independence by giving the government sweeping powers regarding these key tribunals. Wednesday, September 15th, was the birth anniversary of the great Indian engineer Bharat Ratna Moksha Gundam Visvesvarya and is thus celebrated as Engineers Day in India. This proud occasion coincided with the announcement that Ram Charitmanas of Tulsidas will become a part of the curriculum for undergraduate students in Madhya Pradesh as an elective course from the next academic session. Students of engineering will now also learn about Ram Setu, which many in the right wing consider a feat of engineering. Alongside, there is also a proposal to include the biographies of RSS founder Dr. K.B. Hejewar, Bharat Jansang Chief Deen Dalopadhyay, and Dr. B.R. Ambedkar as part of the first year foundation course in medicine with an aim to instill social and medical ethics in students. These actions gave another fillip to the growing Congress allegations of saffronization of education. Bollywood actor Sonu Sood's offices and home were visited by the income tax officials as part of a routine survey this week. As per the statement released by the IT department after the survey, evidence of evasion of over 20 crore in taxes was uncovered. The alleged modus operandi was routing of unaccounted income in the form of bogus insecured loans from many bogus entities. Yes, there is an element of coincidence in the timing of the survey, especially since Sonu Sood recently announced tie-up with Delhi Chief Minister Arvind Kejriwal's Ahmadmi Party government for some state-level schemes. Now, celebrity issues would normally not find a place in this show. But we have included this one especially since, just as many of you, we too want to know if the person who was regarded as a saviour of many migrants and hero of the needy during the pandemic could actually be a cheat. If the claims are proven, it would shatter the faith of many Indians who have not too many selfless role models to look up to anyways. It will also cast an unfortunate shadow on the works of many other genuine social workers and NGOs whose funding may just dry up and thus impact the benefits being delivered to the needy. We will of course wait for the law to take its own course and only hope that this does not turn out to be true. Moving on from general topics and events, in this part of the show, let's look at what happened in the world of politics and what are politicians were up to this week. You know, it's election season when you hear the beat of communalism, religion and caste divide all around you. And when the state of Uttar Pradesh, the biggest battlefield in state elections, the beats are even louder. On Sunday, the Chief Minister of UP, Yogi Adityanath, made a statement at an event questioning the fair distribution of rations prior to BJP's rule in 2017. He claimed that only those who should say Abba Jan were getting the ration, a clear reference to Muslims and the supposed appeasement politics practiced by the Congress and Samajwadi Party. 
मिलना है राशन क्या ये राशन 2017 के पहले भी मिलता था क्योंकि तब तो अब्बा जान कहने वाले राशन हजम कर जाते थे Not want to be left behind, the Bahujan Samaj Party made countering claims that no party has done more for religious places in Uttar Pradesh than the BSP. In continuation of the theme, Bharatiya Kisan Union leader Rakesh Tikayat on Tuesday alleged that AIM-IM leader Asaduddin Owaisi is BJP's chacha jaan and part of BJP's B team. Now, whether these statements are factually right or wrong is not really the issue here. but we as citizens are getting fed the same staple diet of caste religion communalism all over again by the politicians and development remains only a subtitle in the entire election narrative with five states going up for elections in the next year it is anyone's guess that the legacy of lord ram and ayodhya will be claimed by all political parties accordingly the aam aadmi party in its ambition to expand beyond new delhi and in a completely unimaginative style to call the tiranga yatra in ayodhya this week it declared that ram rajya was the best form of governance and promised to form a government that will govern on the ideals given by lord ram covert and overt soft hindutva is now a full on display from rahul gandhi declaring himself a janyodhari brahmin to mamta banerji chanting shlokas All of them, though a bit too late to the party, as BJP has by now mastered the playbook of Hindutva nationalism. A strong and united opposition at the national and state level is very much the need of the hour, and the signs do not seem very encouraging. However, the opposition fault lines are now being seen clearly, as the Congress, Aam Aadmi Party, Bahujan Samaj Party have announced that they will not form an alliance with any political party for the upcoming UP Assembly polls, and instead. contest the seats independently ending up eating into each other's votes Bhupendra Patel took oath as the 17th Gujarat chief minister on Monday 13 September after the shock resignation of Vijay Rupani Now this makes it the fourth change of CM within BJP rule states in the last few months Moving northwards Captain Amarinder Singh under pressure from the Congress resigned as the Punjab chief minister after serving 9.5 years as the Punjab CM In his first comments to the press, he mentioned that he felt humiliated in the party and could not continue any longer. Punjab is due for elections to elect a new government in four to five months from now. With BJP falling out of favor with farmers, Akalis trying their best to regain power, Aam Aadmi Party aiming to expand its presence, and of course, Captain Amarinder Singh saying he will reveal his next move only when the time comes. Indeed, these are interesting times to be in Punjab politics right now. In this section let's talk business and look at our economy in general. Private consumption, which is the value of the goods and services acquired and consumed by households, has fallen 12% below pre-pandemic levels and now is at the same levels as that in 2017-18. After operating for 25 years in India, investing 2.5 billion dollars and capturing 2% market share, American auto major Ford Motor Company decided to shut down both its plants in India and exit the market altogether. Despite the 2 billion dollar write-off on its investment, Ford decided to pull the plug as it does not see a path to profitability in India anymore. 
Incidentally, Ford is the fifth automaker which has decided to cease manufacturing in India after Man Trucks, General Motors, Harley Davidson, and UM Motorcycles. These exists only prove that India's $30 billion passenger car market with price sensitive buyers is actually a tough nut to crack. While the Americans gave up all too soon, the Japanese and Korean car makers like Suzuki and Hyundai have had relatively higher success. After the liberalization of the Indian economy in 1991, the middle class was expected to fuel a consumption boom, making India's car market the third largest in the world by 2020. It was expected to have an annual sales of 5 million cars. Instead, sales have stagnated approximately 3 million cars. The growth rate too has settled less 3.6% over the last decade versus 12% in the previous decade. This casts another question mark on the state of the Indian economy. While on the auto sector and on a completely separate note, the government today cleared 26,000 crore rupees worth production-linked incentive or the PLI scheme for the auto sector. This is intended to boost the production of electric and hydrogen fuel vehicles. This incentive is a part of the incentive of 2 lakh crore rupees announced for 13 sectors in the 2021-22 budget. As per government estimates, the PLI scheme is expected to generate up to 7.5 lakh new jobs for the auto sector. It's not all. There's some more interesting news from the transportation sector. The Tata Group and Mr. Ajay Singh, the promoter of SpiceJet in his personal capacity, have submitted a bid for acquiring a 100% stake in Air India, including Air India Express. Together, these airlines are saddled with a debt of around 70,000 crore rupees. After multiple failed attempts at privatizing Air India over the years, succeeding this time around is extremely crucial for the government. This is because it has set itself an ambitious budgetary target of collecting 1.75 lakh crore from disinvestment in this current fiscal. Now, this number is actually five times the actual receipts estimated in the previous fiscal. Interestingly, the disinvestment targets have only been met twice over the last few years, that is since 2013-14. After Air India, the government is also buying stake sales in LIC, Bharat Petroleum Corporation, IDBI Bank, Shipping Corporation of India, and Container Corporation, among others, to meet this ambitious target. Okay, friends, that's all I have for you in this episode. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show as much as I enjoyed hosting it. These are the early days of the show and we sincerely look forward to your comments and feedback to help us improve. Drop us a line on themerity.com slash contact us and tell us what you liked or didn't like. If you've enjoyed the show, please don't forget to share it with your friends and follow The Mirrority on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our channel on YouTube. All our podcasts can be accessed at themirrority.com slash podcast. They are also available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. More than ever before, our country needs journalism that is independent and nonpartisan. Please visit themirrority.com slash support us and make a contribution to help us remain independent. 